Let's pray. Lord, as we come to remember that night when all of your followers abandoned you, the night that you were left alone and arrested, Lord, we know that we are no better than those disciples. Lord, that the only difference is that you have died and rose again and given your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for that and for the grace that comes with all that you did for us. And Lord, as we consider your word right now, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and show us, Lord, what we need to do to obey your command. In Jesus' name, amen. So even though the chief priests and Pharisees in Jerusalem had been out to capture and kill Jesus, he and his disciples had returned there to Jerusalem, at least to the vicinity, uh, six days before the Passover. And that's when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, anointed the feet of Jesus. And the next day, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, on a donkey's colt with the crowd shouting praises and waving palm branches. And then he went to the temple and there he taught each day. The following day, he violently turned over the tables of the temple money changers and drove them out with their, the animals that they were selling. And after that, he had heated exchanges with the scribes and the Pharisees over his authority. And in that evening, he, he told his disciples about the impending destruction of Jerusalem. So with all of that, we understand that there was a lot going on emotionally for everyone uh, that week already, but there was still much more to come. On Thursday, Jesus gathered with his disciples to celebrate Passover. But before that, he washed the feet of, of his disciples, of this intimate group, and, and he taught them once again. And during Passover, he revealed the significance of the bread and the wine as his body and the blood of the new covenant. He also revealed that one of them would betray him into the hands of those who wanted to kill him and that he would indeed be arrested, crucified, and rise again. Then he went to the Mount of Olives with all of them, except for G Judas, who had already left to betray him. And there Jesus told his disciples that all of them were about to abandon him. They all denied it. And in and around that time, Jesus' disciples were also squabbling with each other in petty power struggles. Three years he had been their master and not much at all had changed with these men. One of them, of course, had grown worse. Imagine how disheartening that must have been for Jesus. Well, Jesus corrected them and told them the right way of advancing in his kingdom was by self-abasement and service. 
Scripture goes on to tell us that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He showed them that as he washed their feet and as he shared communion with them. And he was about to show them even more, though they would not understand his death on the cross as an act of love until after his resurrection. And Jesus gave them his commandment to love one another as he had loved them. Loving one another as he had loved them was how they were to be one with him and how they were to abide in him. That was his main commandment. And their obedience was key to their abiding in God's love and experiencing his manifest presence. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 21. That was also how they were to be identified by the world as Christians. Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. Well, finally, they all went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, I'm sure, knew he would be arrested. And there he asked his closest disciples to stay near him and watch and pray with him. There they failed him once more, falling asleep. And when Judas showed up with the band uh, sent to arrest Jesus, all the disciples did abandon him as Jesus had said they would. And then Jesus went on to his torture and execution alone. Jesus revealed to his disciples that night their own insufficiency in being faithful to him. They needed something more, something more than themselves, something supernatural. Of course, we now know the end of the story. We know Jesus rose again from the dead. And when he did, he reinstated all his disciples who had abandoned him, all but Judas Iscariot, the betrayer who had taken his own life. We know soon afterward, Jesus ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to endow his disciples with power to obey his commandment to love one another as he had loved them and to be one with him and one with his Father. With the Holy Spirit came the kind of love and faithfulness that they did not have before. They could never be faithful to Jesus and their fellow disciples without the Holy Spirit, believe and try as they wish. And neither can we. The same Holy Spirit is in us, us who are Jesus' disciples today, the same Holy Spirit that was sent to them soon afterward. The same Holy Spirit avails us with the kind of love and faithfulness that Jesus has. That's why we call him the Holy Spirit. How much more disheartening 
must it be for Jesus when we who have the Holy Spirit, we who have the power that was provided to us from him, do not obey him and love one another as he loved us. I was listening to the late Pastor Adrian Rogers once again the other day, and he was relating the manifest presence of God in the Old Testament to the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit today. And he talked about how God told Moses that his presence would not go with his chosen people after they had disobeyed him, but that he would still send his angel of protection to be uh, with his people as they traveled to the promised land. But not having God's presence, that the thought of such a thing grieved Moses and grieved the people and, and, and Moses wouldn't have it. He interceded for his people. You see, God's manifest presence meant more to Moses than God's blessing and protection. And Moses and the people confessed their sins and they repented because they could not do without God's manifest presence. They knew that. And God promised to restore his presence again to them. Well, Pastor Rogers made the point that many Christians are in a similar position today. Many have disobeyed Jesus's commandments and as a result, no longer experience or enjoy God's manifest presence in the Holy Spirit. These Christians have grieved God like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. They have grieved the Holy Spirit. And as a result, the awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit is nearly non-existent now to them. The awareness. Now, how does that, that happen? Well, it happens like this. You sin, and because you have the Holy Spirit within you, the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin and reveals to you what you must do. That is repent. And that repentance will likely include a confession of some sort and, and likely even include making things right again where that can be done. But that's all where we sometimes balk to our own detriment because that is hard for us to do even as Christians. It is hard to obey the Holy Spirit's prompting and confess and repent because it's a humbling thing. And it is especially hard in relationships with other Christians when we've been wronged by them. We want them to confess first, feeling justified in our actions. But that is never justifiable in light of what Jesus commanded us about love. He commanded a forgiving, dying love like his, and he gave us his Holy Spirit to do it. And that means that we are resisting the Holy Spirit. We are resisting the only one who can help us love like that when we resist the Holy Spirit's prompting. 
It means that we are actually resisting the manifest presence of God and that we don't want to love like Jesus commanded. Why would we then be surprised at not sensing the manifest presence of God in our lives? Well, sometimes we try to hide our sin from others, even if we cannot hide it from God. But that's not good for the body of Christ. Even if others might think more highly of us and empathize with us, it's not good because it's not honest and it only harms the body of Christ. Hidden sin is a form of bondage and it's liberating to confess it and to repent of our sins when the Holy Spirit reveals our sins to us. When we don't respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting, what happens? Well, the same thing that happened to Israel our hearts grow dull and our ears grow hard of hearing. As Jesus said, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That's from Matthew thirteen fifteen which comes from Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. Well, that's what God wants. He wants for us to hear and to understand his voice and to turn from our sins so that he can heal us. 1 John 1, 7 to 9 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit wants us to be healed. He wants us to be healthy and usable for God's glory. 1 John 3.24 says, Now he who keeps his commandments, that's Jesus' commandments, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 4.12-13 says, if we, love enough, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. 1 John 4.15-19 says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It goes on in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And in verse 21, it says, and this commandment we have from him, that is Jesus, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's pray. Lord God, we remember that commandment, Lord. That's what we come tonight for, Lord. We remember your commandment to us, Lord, and the oneness that you give to us when we have your Holy Spirit and when we obey this commandment by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we thank you so much for dying for us and for raising us to life with you, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that we will submit to your word and to your love. And Lord, allow you to love through us. In Jesus' name, amen.